Magical customer experiences don't happen by accident. They happen through careful planning and meticulous design. Kevin and Debbie have been engineering extraordinary customer experiences for over 30 years. Join us as we explore corporate culture, branding, service excellence, and much more through storytelling, technical curiosity, and friendly conversation. The Disney way for the digital age will be revealed. Deb, it is so great to finally be doing this. Uh, boy, you and I have been working together and, and and talking for almost two decades. I think we figured out. I was going to go try and find my old Disney Institute book and see when that when that first meeting was. But gosh, we've been working together forever. It seems this this is going to be a lot of fun to put our ideas together, to share ideas with with others, and uh, make an impact, we hope, on other businesses out there. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, likewise. Uh, to give folks some background, um, Debbie and I have worked together. I, I met Deb uh, at the Disney Institute about two decades ago. We're figuring that out. And um, we started... I, I hate to tell you, but I think it was longer than that. Oh, but on. that's okay. We'll go with two decades. <laughs> Let's go with two decades. Jeez, oh man. Um, yeah, and you know, kind of changed my life and my perspective of how to run my business and returned and uh, you know, had had to create a friendship and relationship with Deb and and we had started working together, built a program for brands and 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 um, even agencies for reselling to brands that we would help structure a culture and integrate it with um, brands and how their brand comes to life through service and, and a lot of other ways. So um, that's something we've been doing. It's, it's, it's been exciting work. So I don't know what, five, six years ago, we said, let's, let's write a book. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what a great idea. Right? It seemed so easy at the time. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the Disney way for the digital age. Yes, it is a book and a podcast. Um, <laughs> we're doing well with the book, but you know, we, we, we're, we're, we're finishing up and they always say that, what is it? The, 80 percent is easy that last 20 percent is 80 percent of the work and that's kind of where we were yeah. mm -hmm. and we started talking on these book meetings and we said i think folks might find this interesting so that's kind of how this came about right <laughs> yeah absolutely so maybe uh maybe you tell folks a little about um yourself and how you started and and, and what you've been doing for the past mm -hmm. little while i won't get specific because uh, you know <laughs> Oh, yeah. You've already pushed so, us back into four score and four score seven years ago. That's yeah. right. So, um, yeah, I did uh, start my career with this Disney Institute uh, that my unintentional career, I will say, because I was like 16, a couple months away from being 17 when I started with Disney, when they opened Walt Disney World here in Orlando, Florida. So I'm an opening team cast member. And had really no intentions of staying, as often happens with, with great companies. 34 years later, I, you know, there I was. <laughs> and I'd actually, 30 after 34 years, reached a crossroads in, in my career trying to decide what do I, I want to do next. I had spent 25 years in leadership positions and operations positions. Um, so most of my career and most of my experience is operations. I am an operations girl. I've always been. I, I love it. I love everything about it. And to lead operations at Disney was uh, not only a, a wonderful learning experience, but it was a, a great happiness. The last six years of my 34, I spent at Disney 
Education Institute sharing the success stories and the processes that made Disney, Disney successful. And that is where I met Kevin. He was the, the guy sitting in the front row raising his hand. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. And then staying after class, not because he was bad, but because he had a ton <laughs> of questions. And that's how, how we got to know each other. And it was just one of those things that it felt like we had always been friends. So it, it stopped. Yeah. And then in 2005, uh, as I was at that crossroads, I decided that I'd really like to try my hand at, at starting my own business and expanding on what I had learned and grown up with at the Disney company. And so I left and started uh, actually a training business with a partner. And it has evolved several times over the years, but I'm now working as a sole proprietor, specifically helping organizations with cultural change, um, process improvement, gaining those those customers for life. And yeah. that's what my key focus is now. And I've been very, very fortunate to have been successful and met some really wonderful people and worked for some really great companies. So, yeah, and, then, and, mm. and, and that is quite a run. And um, it's kind of exemplary of how we got together, right? So you were consulting with your partner. I called you up. As many folks exiting their their training at Disney Institute would say, wow, this is fantastic. I'm going to go back to my business and I'm going to have no idea how to implement this. Can you come out and help? And then, you know, mm -hmm. the answer at the time was no, right? They didn't right. Really. So you said, hey, let me, let me help these folks and, and let me mm -hmm. try this independent. So, you know, and then, yeah. you know, we, we've done that as well. So, mm -hmm. um, a little about me, uh, Kevin Kelly. Yeah. What is, so um the mystery that is kevin the mystery Kelly. Is, so yeah late 80s early 90s you know got out of berkeley college of music i was a recording engineer and a drummer and a couple of touring rock bands you've never heard of and uh <laughs> was lucky enough to to do some work with some great folks like i got to work with madonna and phil collins and some other great people but then um and 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 that was wonderful. But then the internet came along, and I and I tell these folks, these millennials, and some of the younger folks, like, so when the internet was invented, I started my company because <laughs> like, it was like, wow, what is this show? I was always a technology guy and and creative in the music side, and I saw the internet come about, and I'm like, there's a this is definitely technology, and like the creative palette for, you know, being able to build a website and build web apps and all this stuff was just wide open. Got me so excited. So I started a company called Big Buzz uh, in the mid 90s, sold it last year and uh, have a few companies that, you know, I'm, I'm realizing that if it doesn't have some sort of connection of creativity, culture and technology, I'm not so interested. So, mm -hmm. you know, my, my passions lie at the intersection of technology and creativity and certainly is, is um, you know, service culture design is something that lives in that space. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, so, so, and then about us, we've worked with uh, all kinds of companies, Fortune 500 companies, helping them, um, as we call it, you know, engineer, creatively engineer their, their culture. Uh, as mm -hmm. we'll talk about later, right? Culture exists, whether you just let it happen or you design it. And, you know, we hope we're going to help you figure out how to how to do the latter and design it. And that's a big part of our focus, right? Uh, from from your brand essence to the people that live it. Yep, and that's why Kevin and I are such a good team. I am the big per 
picture operational person. He's the, the technical person. And I have, I am not a technical person. Let's just put it that way. So when we get to the tech don't piece, I go, Kevin, your turn. <laughs> <laughs> we need, I need help with this. Yeah. <laughs> so, we, we, we are yin and yang like that. It yes, works very well. Absolutely. It works. For I, sure. think, I think, I think we've rubbed off on each other. So yes, uh, in so, a good way. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, for yeah. sure. So, um, yeah, this first episode is going to be probably a little different than the rest. You know, we'll, um, digging right into particular issues, but the format's going to be, you know, introduction. Hey, how you doing? Um, we're always going to focus on, you know, um, service culture, uh, analysis and design, um, superior customer service systems, how to you identify them, create them and, and, and help them thrive in your organization. And then on the tech side, you know, I'm, I'm very, excited and passionate about AI and uh, CX design, customer experience design. How do you use this technology like chatbots and voice and web apps and, you know, the device that everyone holds in their hand. They're so lucky that, you know, we've got this thing that's in everybody's hand. How do we use it to, to help um, reach our customers and help them engage with us? So. Yeah. And, and I would just, I would just like to say, you know, as, as we talk about um, we'll, we'll say things like, sir, you'll, and you'll understand these a little bit later. We'll say things like service framework and and understanding your culture, how to deliver exceptional service through your service framework. But the piece that has been missing until recently and is necessary is the technology piece. The question is, how much technology do you need? You know, is right. it is it huge or is it certain things like a, a chat bot? That to help yeah. you with customer service. Um, so sure. those things be, become important, not just putting technology into place for the sake of putting technology into place, but it certainly is a plus plus to your, you know, the service experience. It can drive you to greater heights when you're delivering that service um, to, to your customers. So we hope in future episodes to help you to understand how to analyze that, assess your current culture, and and build in the technology that's necessary um, that is relevant to the rest of your service framework in order to give you give your customers that that great experience. We will always be candid and honest and and up up front with you when we give you examples, tell you stories. Um, yeah, we'll be professional, sure. but we won't necessarily sugarcoat some of the tough subjects and and yeah. we we honestly believe that's the way to give you the best information without question yeah and it, and there's so many opportunities um from service standards and the things like you mentioned some terms that we may not get to defining certainly in the first episode so as we go through this um there's a whole system that yeah some of it's obviously you know deb's got years with disney way and and how they've done things but they've she's also worked with other large companies and and i myself so we're gonna um, um pull from all of that and share that with you so the other thing we're gonna do it i think it's my favorite part is we're gonna share stories about our lives and mostly that's going to be from Deb. She has, I think she underestimates how many great stories she has of her years <laughs> at, at Disney. And funny, you know, um, one of the things, so I, I remember that first night, it was uh, my first time I went to Disney Institute twice. My first time was um, the leadership tract. And we started with an evening and um, Deb comes in and she goes right into a you know, little, little history. And then she, she mentions this thing that like, 
my eyes went wide open called the dark years. And I said, what do you mean? That? What's she talking about? Dark years? Isn't Disney just wonderful and pixie dust? Everything's always been great, you know? <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, that was a real eye opener, right? It's like, <laughs> they, like many businesses, they grew, they they felt competition and they had a need for change. And uh, maybe maybe go into a little of that and, and where you were and how, that, how you felt because you lived it. Yeah. I just heard the story. Yeah, you know, starting in 71, it, everything was... And actually, still, all throughout my career, I considered it a, just a magical experience. But all companies stumble and fall to their knees. And the question is, how do you recover, right? Yeah, yeah. And some don't. I mean, we can think of dozens of companies that just yeah. never were able to recover. And what happened was, and, and when you think about it, it's a phrase that we used to use at Disney Institute called insidious decline, where the company is having troubles for Disney, it was losing those, those guest attendance numbers, getting more and more negative comments from our Disney files, our local, our, our loyal Disney folks. And, and yet the prevailing thought was we invented the theme park business. No one can compete with us. And basically right. we don't have any competition. Um, so everything, you know, everything will be fine. And and then Universal starts to move in and SeaWorld and of course we become a, a booming attractions metropolis here in, in Central Florida. And suddenly Disney found themselves in a really difficult position. And and when you think about Insidious Decline, it goes all the way back to um Walt died before the park opened, you know, yeah, and right. it opened in seventy one, Walt died in sixty-six. His brother Roy made the dream come true. And then three months after the dedication, Roy Disney passed away mm, and right. the company was left to um, Ron Miller, super nice guy, married to Disney's daughter. Um, <laughs> very, very nice guy, but, but actually was way in over his head yeah. in running a company of, of this magnitude. And that prevailing thought of we have no competition was was really a, almost their undoing. And the dark years themselves began with, the, and a lot of you know this story, and it's it's also um, printed in a book called Storming the Magic Kingdom, which is a, a very accurate, candid, honest rendition of this period. Um, but a corporate raider came in, and he was trying to buy up the Disney company and, and literally was within hours of acquiring the Disney company. And his plan was to sell the hotels to hotel chains, um, just, you know, either get rid of the theme parks or um, move them on to other companies. And I had at that time invested 12 years of my career in this amazing company. And at this wow. point was thinking I'm going to stay forever. And I thought, oh, my gosh, you know, uh, I've invested 12 years of my life in this company and now it's going to cease to be. Right. Wow. And so we cast members called it the dark years park attendance is you could walk down main street and it was like a ghost town wow. if that isn't scary and yeah. and guests were telling us you know the magical experience is not so magical anymore your cast members <laughs> right. aren't all nice um everything's starting to look a little worn and yeah. uh, and this was around um oh gosh i guess it started like 80s yeah 84 88 something like something like that around in there and, uh, and, and it was a really tough time and I really thought, okay, you know, this is it. And then the, um, Bass Brothers came in as the white knights to save the company. They bought the majority of the stock to keep this guy from taking over the company. 
and they had certain conditions. The board met those conditions, and one of those conditions was is that we want to bring in Michael Eisner um, to mm-hmm. run the company as the new CEO. So, and, you know, I always say this, whatever you think of Michael Eisner, and, I, and he did get <laughs> a bit eccentric towards the end, uh, he and Frank Wells came in together and flat out saved this company. And yeah. I can remember standing in front of the castle and he came to do his personal introduction. And I remember him saying, um, you know, for all of my life, I've wanted to be part of the Disney company. He said, and I am not intending to destroy this company or dismantle this company. Uh, he says, I am intending to build on all the wonderful things that Walt has put in place, but also to try new things, to to get out and, and look at new technology and look at new ways of of doing business and that's my commitment i have uh wanted to be involved with the disney organization uh, for all my life i grew up as uh, most people in my generation did uh, on walt disney entertainment uh last night we were standing right here with the lights on the magic castle and main street and uh, uh it was an enormously fantastic feeling I want to say that uh, the selection of Frank and myself to work with you in this company, we think, is an indication that the board of directors have decided that this company will be led from a creative point of view. I'll never forget standing there in that crowd of cast members, and, and I was a manager at the time, and thinking, oh my gosh, we're going to be okay, you know? Uh, and and he literally did. That's when we entered what we call the Disney decade, and we built hotels after hotels. The parks were cleaned up. We went back to right fit hiring of the cast members and uh, went back to delivering a magical experience again. And yeah. we had decades of phenomenal success based on the things that Michael Eisner and Frank Wells put in place. And we continue yeah. to build on that today. I mean, that, that, that is truly amazing. And so many folks don't know that that even happened, right? They don't know that. No, was, it's always been wonderful. Never, yep. you know, was never Always magical. Yeah. Um, what you had shown us that night was a speech by Judson Green, who had, uh, I think mm-hmm. he, he was heading up uh, parks at the time. Yeah, he was the chairman of Parks and Resorts. And the, the video that I showed everyone was called Performance Excellence. Right. Because also nicknamed the, the footstep speech, maybe? The footstep speech is what we used to call it, because yeah. one of the things he says in his opening dialogue is, you know, people are, because what it involved was complete cultural change. Um, soup to nuts cultural change, stepping back and looking at it, every element of the Disney culture, from how leaders behaved, how leaders were promoted, how we hired employees, how we trained employees, how we met guests or exceeded guest expectations. I mean, every element of the culture was um, dissected and looked at to the nth degree. And there were many, many big changes that had to happen to move us forward. And he was put in charge of that by Michael Eisner. And the video was called Footsteps. We called it Footsteps. It was the performance excellence video and what it meant was uh he was sending a message to all the leaders that there was going to big big change and we had to get on board with that change he he called it getting on the bus which was a, a, a whole fun uh introduction but um we were all given coaches and mentors and given a chance to 
uh, change our ways, if we weren't listening to the cast members, if we weren't um, being respectful to our cast members, or we weren't listening to the guests. The old days of managing the way manufacturing companies manage. Look, I'm the boss. You just get out there, do what you're right. told. You're a and, worker. And, and yeah. You don't so, have a so he made it clear those days are gone and that is not going to fly in this company any longer. So we were all given a, a chance to change our ways, if you will. And, and I, I was one of those that needed some help doing that because I was raised in the environment of, okay, I'm finally the manager. You just get out there and do what you're told. Right. And so we had big changes to make, and that was all part of the performance excellence initiative. But it, it was big cultural change. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that for me it underscores the entire structure of how to build the culture, how to ride fit higher, how to you know put all those pieces together. Because as we've seen with the companies we work with, that um, culture happens, right? If it's not designed. Mm -hmm. and, and for those 13, 15 years that you were there, I don't think you had structure. It was, you know, be nice, smile, you know, it was, <laughs> you know, and, and make their day, right? But that wasn't a structure that was repeatable, um, right. trainable, right? So from that came so many, um, so that structure that still to this day is part of yeah. how that, that, that Disney magic is, is created. Um, you know, you talk about that insidious decline. I just want to jump and, and come back to this for sure. But, mm -hmm. you know, you, you think about folks that aren't looking out for competition. Now, just recently, Netflix took a huge dive in the stocks uh, in, the, in the market because they're not the only streaming game in town. Not by yeah. a long shot, right? They not anymore. It. They mm -hmm. invented it. They, you know, they figured it out. They have incredible content. They're spending multi-billions each year on content. But so's Disney. So's you know. So's HBO and Warner and all these folks. And so, Paramount and exactly. You, you know, know, the only game in town. They want a fifteen now. You know, so mm -hmm. I feel like for such an innovative company, they they weren't looking uh, far enough ahead or looking over their shoulder, which is mm -hmm. something you really got to do yeah. both of, right? Right. Keep your keep your eyes ahead, but you better take a look behind you too, because there's somebody always looking yeah. at your heels. And at that time, the footsteps that they heard was really universal, I think, was coming in the mid-80s. Um, yeah. And, and maybe a quick, uh, and we might have to, to wrap this first episode, but a quick uh, story about the, or maybe I'll, I'll, I'll tell what I remember. You tell me how <laughs> accurate it may be, but you tell the story about Justin's part of the speech with, you know, the bus, get on the bus, <laughs> this bus is leaving, right? And we're yeah. going in this direction and it's going to be great for everyone, but you need to figure out where you are on this bus. This, you know, do you belong on this bus? And you said there was an employee exercise where you had to draw yourself on the mm -hmm. bus or in, yeah. in relation to the bus. And right. you had some interesting outputs, I'll call them. Yeah, yeah, we we had to we did we had to draw where we thought we were on the bus or in relationship to the bus, and it was it turned out to be a, a funny exercise because there were people who drew themselves driving the bus. Hey, I got it right. <laughs> yeah, right. And there were pictures people drew of them being dragged by the bus. There were people <laughs> right. running behind the bus yelling, "Wait for me." Um, Others clinging tightly to the top of the bus. <laughs> I mean, it was and still it was, others run over by the bus. Still I'm others sure. being run over by the bus. <laughs> so it was really quite a, an interesting um, activity. And I will tell you that there we were given, uh, I'm going to say, two to three years with mentors and coaches and training and to change how we behaved as leaders. And those that didn't 
either left on their own because they were unhappy or were asked to leave. And we lost about 17% of our leadership workforce Okay. after all of this rolled out for all the right reasons. Um, And it was hard and it was terrible. And those of us that were left, there weren't enough of us and we were um, pulling double duty. But when those leaders were replaced, either through promotions or bringing folks in, the right fit for this new culture was brought into place. And the rest is kind of history. Yeah. You know? Yeah. We've seen that in what we do. Yeah. We, we mm-hmm. do, you know, we take this and we apply it to companies that we work with. And, you know, uh, as we go through exercises and, you know, walk through vision and where do you fit on the bus? This is where we're going. Make no mistake. We've met with the uh, executive leadership and there's a vision. And, you know, and as we train that we say, well, Johnny might not be on board. You might have to, you know, hopefully we can train him in, but if he's not fully bought in, maybe he'll self-select out, but everyone would be served better if he wasn't on the bus, yeah, you know, yeah. unless he turns the corner. So that like 17% is probably not, probably not an uncommon number, right? We've seen that, yeah. you know, in organizations of 30 and then organizations of, you know, the 4,500. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've worked with both and seen the same kind of outcomes, but yeah. in the end, as, as that vetting happens, it's better for everyone. Oh, absolutely. And sometimes we see it more than 17%. It, it's, um, it just depends. Executive leadership has to buy in or yeah. it's it, the whole initiative's a lame duck, you know? Well, I can't believe we're at about 25 minutes, so we're going to have to, uh, yeah. So we, we're going to try and end up every week, and we've got lots more to talk about. So please tune in for our, to, our, to our next episode. We'll continue this conversation probably pretty much from where we left off. But we have a little segment at the end we, we, we'd like to, to share with you called The Greatest Advice You'll Ever Get, mm-hmm. I Think. <laughs> we think, maybe, I don't know. It's the greatest advice you'll ever get, we think. So... You know, and, and today, and, and, you know, I want to hear your take on it too, Deb, but it's the idea that you should pay careful attention to your culture because culture happens by accident or it happens by design. And we hope to help you curate and um, create that culture by design. Mm-hmm. And the only thing I can add to that is that without a doubt, and it's proven over and over again, the most successful companies regularly step back and say, where are we today? What's working? What's not working? They examine all the elements of their culture and what do we need to do to move forward? And companies that don't do that, the um, decline sneaks up on them. And sometimes it's too late to pick yourself up off your knees. Yep. So I agree, couldn't agree with that more. So on our next episode, we're going to continue this conversation. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about how to honestly assess your culture. Maybe uh, break that down into six questions you can ask. And we'll also get into more of the technology side of things. So, you know, delivering an extraordinary customer service experience through things like chatbots, uh, voice experience. I've had the opportunity to work with uh, Hard Rock in a hotel launch, and we've um, delivered some great uh, guest experiences through through voice. So things like that and much more will be coming up on our next episode. So I hope you all can tune in. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you.